Let us pray. Father, indeed, we ask that you would hear our prayer and that you would align our hearts and our minds and the thoughts of our innermost being with your heart and your thoughts and your mind. That all that is spoken and all that is heard would be of and from and fully glorifying to you. And so now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here. We're going to be looking at both our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 9 this morning and then concluding with our New Testament reading from Acts chapter 1, focusing especially on verse 8. So if you have your Bibles and devices or devices, I should say, with scripture on them, I invite you to open to Matthew chapter 9 and kind of stick your finger in Acts chapter 1 as we go forward. Today, our scriptures focus on mission. And the fact is that our God is indeed a missionary God. We know this because the ultimate, most profound, and most eloquent demonstration of the missionary heart of God is that Jesus Christ, God the Son, came into this world as a human being. And he did this in order for us to be reconciled to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, we read, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And then continuing in verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God's heart is one of mission. And if we have the heart of God, our lives And the life of all saints' church will be one of mission, the mission of God. Sometimes you will hear people make statements or pronouncements regarding the missionary call of the church, such as, well, I believe that missions begins at home, or there are so many needs here, why should anyone go to another country or region of the world? Or things like, we need to take care of our own first. My question would be to us, where does that kind of thinking come from? Because as we look at our gospel and New Testament readings today, this sort of thinking clearly is not supported by scripture. And it certainly doesn't reflect the heart of our God. It is not an either or one or the other. It is a both and we are called to reach our community here and we are called to go to the ends of the earth. My sermon today is entitled, God's Heart, Our Missionary Calling. And again, we'll spend most of our time looking at Matthew chapter 9 and then conclude in Acts chapter 1. First, our missionary call. As we begin begin looking at this wonderful call which God has placed upon his people, the starting place is Jesus himself, the eternal son of God. And what do we see in the example and in the earthly ministry of Jesus. We'll look at verse 35 of Matthew 9 with me. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. We see our Lord himself in his earthly ministry going throughout all the cities and villages. And as he goes throughout the region, we see him doing three specific things. 
We see him teaching in their synagogues. We see him proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that salvation is for all people through him. And we see him healing every disease and affliction. And the example of our Lord Jesus Christ himself is our missionary call. In John 14, verse 12, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater the works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Teaching, proclaiming, ministering healing in the power of the Holy Spirit. But how is all this possible? How do we, fully human and frail as we are, ever get to the place of fulfilling this call of God to us? Well, let's look a little further into our reading from St. Matthew's Gospel. Fulfilling our missionary call begins with cultivating a missionary heart. So we have our missionary call. Second, we have our missionary heart. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is well acquainted with the condition of the crowds. They were lost, dead in their trespasses and sin. But beyond that, as Matthew says, they were harassed and helpless. They are cast down in a sad state and to be pitied. As A.T. Robertson says, commenting on this passage, they were rent and mangled as if by wild beasts. The bottom line is that all of these graphic descriptors point to their spiritual condition or state of being. And worse yet, the religious leaders, their leaders, who should have seen and pointed them to the truth in Jesus, instead led them further astray, led them more deeply into the state's of lostness, this state in which they were to be pitied. Jesus is filled with compassion. Jesus recognizes that they are like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus' response to their sad state is not anger, nor is it resignation, just throwing up his hands and saying, there's nothing that can be done. His response is a response of compassion. The heart of God for the lost in this community and to the ends of the earth is tenderness and compassion. If our heart is to be fully aligned with the missionary heart of God, we must be filled with compassion like Jesus was and is filled with compassion for the lost. And we need to follow the example and the model of Jesus. A heart full of compassion, but not a compassion that is enabling. A compassion that lovingly speaks the truth of God and calls people to life in Jesus. Calls people to repentance. Calls people to fullness of transformation that only comes through a living relationship with Jesus Christ. And then out of this God-given missionary heart comes our missionary response. Hear what Jesus says to his his disciples in verses 37 through 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The fact is the harvest is so plentiful that it can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. And you hear that from not only people in this land, but missionaries all over the world. The lostness of people, their sad state, the sheer numbers of lost people is overwhelming. So where do we start? We start wherever God has placed us with the people he has brought into our lives, wherever he is calling us to. And we start one by one by one, sharing people, sharing the gospel with people, teaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, praying for those who need healing. Jesus was faced with an overwhelming scene, but what does he instruct his disciples to do? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord. When we are faced with an overwhelming need or even one of crisis, we must respond by even more more fully turning toward God, turning toward the Lord, placing our trust more fully in him. As overwhelming as the need may appear to be, this is actually a really good place for the Christian to be in. And I don't mean that tritely. I'm not saying that somehow that will make things easy. The fact is they won't be. Just talk to anyone who's labored on the mission field for years. But it is when we come to the absolute end of our capabilities and of our means, to the end of Scott, to the end of you, when we realize that there's nothing within us that can even begin to address the need that we are confronted with, that is when we are at the place to be most effectively used by God because we're to the end of our means and our abilities and our strategies. And in that situation, Jesus commands his disciples and that includes each of us who know him to pray earnestly, to pray earnestly, to pray the heart and the will and the mind of God. And I don't say that arrogantly because as we get to that place where we say, God, only you can do this. There's nothing in me. There's nothing in us. There's nothing in this church apart from you that can touch people, that can meet and address this need. And as we pray the heart and the mind of God's compassion for the lost, God's missionary heart, he will work in us as only he can. I love what Erasmo Leva Maricakis in his meditation on St. Matthew's Gospel says as he captures the necessity of prayer for mission wonderfully. How can God refuse a prayer that manifests to him that the person praying has wholly appropriated God's own dearest interests? How can God refuse to answer our prayer when it's fully aligned with his heart and with the interest of God's heart? we are to be a missionary church that demonstrates the heart of God, ours must be a missionary response. And what is that response? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And then finally, our missionary method. 
turning to Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In relation to what we've just read in Matthew chapter nine, I think it is important to understand the implication that the fulfillment of what Jesus promises in Acts chapter one, verse eight is birthed in a setting of fervent, continual prayer. That is the context for this. In Acts one, four, Jesus commands these believers to not depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, telling them that they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And they continue a little further along in Acts chapter one, verses 13 through 14, we read this. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these, hear this, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. And God brought to pass what he had promised. You jump a little further to Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came upon them and God himself empowered them through his means to be his witnesses, not through their strength or ingenuity, not through their plans or strategies or methods, but by the fullness of the power of God, the Holy Spirit himself. And they took the gospel in power to their local community, Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You and I, this church, are called to be witnesses right here in our Jerusalem, Dale City, and our Judea, Prince William County, and our Samaria, this nation, and to the ends of the earth. But we need to be witnesses in the way that God has designed. And what is God's design? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. We are to be witnesses in the power of God, the Holy Spirit himself. I think there's been quite humbly to say this, a lot of error in the Western church in the United States in the church in recent years, because so often, far too often, we start with our ideas or our strategies or the latest book. 
And there's nothing wrong with some of those things except that we've got the order reversed because our starting place needs to be God. Our starting place needs to be the power of the Holy Spirit of God himself. And our starting place needs to be earnest, fervent prayer to the Lord of the harvests so that we know his heart and his plan and his divinely appointed supernatural ways to reach this community and our world in this time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, I'm not opposed to resources, but we can't start there. We can't start with the latest book. And everything, everything we do, we must do in step with the Spirit. As St. Paul reminds us in Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, and indeed that is our calling God, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Our God is indeed a missionary God. The fact that he sent Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God to this world to live and die for us attests to that reality more profoundly than anything else in all time and history. This is the heart of God. And as the people of God, we have a missionary calling whether we like it or not. This is the heart of God for us. As I talked about at our business meeting, I've mentioned since our theme for this year is strengthened with power through the spirit. If we are going to be about the mission and the heart of God for all saints church, we must like that first church, like those early disciples, be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit of God so that we are praying earnestly and have the mind and the heart and the plan and the strategy of God that is birthed in the throne room of heaven and not in some meeting room here on earth. To that end, there will be times of prayer coming. We'll be talking about those very soon, announcing specific times set aside for prayer for this church, for our community, for our world in mission, probably on Sunday evenings and other times as well. The third weekend in March, beginning on that Sunday, and I've got the dates mixed up in my head, the 22nd, whatever the third Sunday in March is, I would ask you to put this on your calendar now. Bishop Bill Murdoch, who is the recently retired bishop of the Anglican Diocese of New England, will be with us on Sunday morning in both services. He will also be here Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday night. Child care will be provided. And this is an all church event. We are clearing the decks of everything for these services with Bishop Murdoch. And his focus will be renewal and being empowered in the Holy Spirit for the work and the ministry and the mission of God for us to be refilled afresh, for us to be touched perhaps in our lives for the first time with the fullness and the power of the Spirit so that we can be about God's mission for this community and this church and our world by God's means. So I would ask you, even as we move forward, to, to begin even now to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest for his mind and his heart and his strategy for the days ahead. That you'd be praying together with me for these times with Bishop Murdoch. He and I talked last week on the phone for a little over an hour about what God is doing here and what God is speaking to him for our church 
and be praying for him and for these services as we move forward. And even now, carve out on your calendar and mark those as a priority as we move into the season of Lent in just a week and a half. And may we, we together grow in our missionary calling in response to the heart of God and for the glory of his name. Let us pray. Father, you are a missionary God and your heart is your calling for your people. So Father, I ask even this day and the days to come that you would birth in us a fresh heart for mission, that you would renew us in fervent prayer for your heart and your mind for this church and our community in this season. And that God, this would truly be a time of pressing in setting aside the things of this world, the cares of life, setting aside human strategies and thoughts and plans so that we can open ourselves more fully to your heart and your plan and most importantly to the fullness of your power to accomplish your mission. Lord, prepare our hearts even now in this season. Help us to press in and God lead us, I pray in Jesus' mighty name into the bright future that you have for us and as we walk in and live out the calling you have placed upon us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.